all did, but we've had a miracle that's been performed in the last 30 minutes. These lights were not working 30 minutes ago, but the Lord knew how much you wanted to look at me, so they are now working. I don't, thank you, Paul, whatever you did. All right, just a couple of quick things I want to mention to you. You can turn to Psalm 139. As we're getting ready, Psalm 139, this is obviously fall break week for our schools, and I know we've got people that are suffering for the Lord down in Destin and other areas, even some in the Grand Canyon, at the Grand Canyon, I hope they're not in the Grand Canyon, they're at the Grand Canyon. I spent a week in the bottom of the Grand Canyon one time, we stayed down there as a missionary thing, it was, it was really cool, uh, like going back in time, 150 years, but... I know you guys are watching, you're not, I know that's what you're doing, so we're praying for you, and, and got, went to Destin after the hurricane, and everything had, had hit, so you need to keep praying for those people, in, uh, particularly in Louisiana, it's, uh, it's been tough six weeks down there. All right, let me mention to you, and then we're going to get started, Psalm 139. This Saturday is the third Saturday of the month, so what's going on? Very good. This Saturday at the Bartlett Campus. If, uh, again, we, uh, this month tends to be one of the highest attended months, we'll have a lot of folks, and uh, we use the help in the gym and, and in, uh, even on the parking lot. So, if you can help Saturday, particularly from about 10 to noon, but if you want to come early and help set up or you want to come late and help tear down, we will be there this, this coming Saturday at the Bartlett Campus. All right, what we're going to do today, I know you find this hard to believe, we'll take, take your hand out, if you've got one, and it says, our God is all. Everybody have that? Wait, I'm going to drop mine, so I'll pick that up later. I don't need it, thank, thank the Lord. I've got, I think i got notes. Wave it if you got it. All right. I know you're disappointed to hear this, but we are drawing nigh to the end of this sermon series. Hold your applause. Uh, what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks are the great omni-attributes of our God. You can see them there in your handout, that he's omnipotent, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipresent. And, and as we've been looking at these amazing attributes of our God, we're going to look at th- these three great omni-attributes and what they mean to us and how we should respond to those. And then the last series, the last message sermon in the series, is going. To, and I'm working on it right now wrapping it all up and the great hope that we have in a world that, and it's so relevant, it's amazing how the Bible is relevant, how relevant it is to our culture right now, that we live in a world in many ways people see it's hopeless. And they think it's, it's just a place without hope. And we're going to look at what our culture would be like in a world without hope, without your daddy. What would it really be like? And how special it is to know that our God is God and that he is there, and that he is our father, and that he does care about us, and that he's concerned. So as we look at these omni-attributes, what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is that our God is all, that he's all of these things, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's in all places simultaneously, and what that really means to us. I'm going to give you an illustration how I think this is so important. In Psalm 139, we're going to be looking at David's great, just, he just pauses and he's just overwhelmed and in awe of who his God is. And my goal in this entire series, and really any time that you're in scripture, is you need to come away from it with, with a, a healthy fear of your God. And that's why the Bible says fear the Lord at the beginning of wisdom is you fear the Lord, not that you're afraid. Particularly if you're born again, if you're a Christian, he's your daddy. And the Bible says if your earthly father knows how to give you good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know? And that he, your heavenly father only gives good and perfect gifts. So the fact that God is your father is the most comforting thing you can ever wake up to, to realize as bad as it may be in the moment of what I'm facing, and we're all facing in 2020, if nothing else, this pandemic, we're all facing some very difficult times. And in some cases, 
even more specific. You know, what, what my sweet wife is going through now with, with her illness and, and how hard it is to see your wife suffer, but to realize without God, we would have no hope. But that with him, we know we have a daddy that's in control and in charge and working good, even though we don't see it now. He is doing that. And so as we think of these omni-attributes and how special it is, what I want you to understand and come away from this is like David did, wow, a healthy fear, not ah, but I'm just in awe that the God who is God, the great I am, didn't just create me, he redeemed me, he adopted me, he bought me, put me in his family. I am his son, I am his daughter, and he's only got my best interests at heart. He has a plan for me. He's always working to use me so that others might know who he is. Give you an illustration. My father-in-law taught me this years ago. My father-in-law's been with Jesus now a number of years, and I met him in 1970. And my father-in-law was, he'd been an elder. It was then Central Cumberland Presbyterian Church when I met him, and he'd been an elder there for about 100 years when I met him. I mean, he just, Mr. Hines was just Mr. Hines. It's just, uh, uh, he started out, of the, he was a milkman with seal test for like 40 years. He started out driving a wagon, pulling mules, delivering milk door to door. That's the, that was his job. And he retired from SEAL test, and then he went into the ministry full-time as a retired senior. He went into doing senior adult ministry, and he got so good at that, there were people from all over the country were coming to see him and talk to him about starting senior adult ministries. Uh, there's a nursing home, uh, uh, assisted living, everything you can imagine place here in town called Kirby Pines. He was the one who started that, and there's a lot of incredible things my father-in-law did. And, and he taught me as a young Christian man, and I did not, my father was not a Christian at, uh, growing up and really wasn't a Christian home, and I really didn't hang around. I, and I just, even though we went to church, we weren't spending time with Christian people, and that just wasn't my life growing up. And then I got saved at 16, and I met Mary, and, and her, obviously met her parents and, and her, her brother, uh, Coach Hines, who went to be with the Lord this year, and uh, her, her, another one of her brothers was the best man in my wedding. It became just, I just became part of their family, and that's it, as it should be. Well, one of the things he taught me was, as a young man, he says, look, Randy, if you're ever stuck in a position, because I was trying to help out and teach a little bit, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, they'd asked me to teach a class, and I found out I really loved doing it, and ultimately found out it was my spiritual gift, was teaching the Bible. He says, look, if, it, if, if you're ever put on the spot, and someone asks you to teach, teach, a Bible study or do a devotion, and you don't have anything to do, just ask them the three great, great questions of life and talk about them. Where did you come from? What are you doing here? And where are you going? Because where do you find those answers? In God's word. We find them in our relationship with God. And even as I was putting this together and and. God has a way of just using things and reminding you and, and uh, uh, pricking your heart and your mind and teaching you something. During this pandemic, and the fact that Mary can really, she's so sick, she's not doing anywhere now. So we're together a lot, uh, sometimes in her mind, too much. She says, why don't you go outside and shoot basketball or something? So we're together a lot. But one of the things we, we have become addicted to, and we're doing every night, so I'm confessing sin here. So... Uh, you can forgive me and uh, let me know later how I'm doing. But every night we're watching Everybody Loves Raymond. Now, I didn't watch the show much when it was on television originally, but uh, it's kind of like Seinfeld. I never watched Seinfeld when it was on television, but then it, you know, when it came out in syndication, I ended up watching it a lot. Hadn't watched it in a long time. But at night, we're, saying, we're watching the Andy Griffith show, which is uh, the greatest show ever been on television, Barney Fife, the greatest character of all time. So I love to watch, and she gets, she says, I can't take any more Barney. So anyway, we're watching Andy Griffith. Well, it didn't, it, the next thing comes on is everybody loves Raymond. I said, well, let's watch this. So this was like weeks ago. Well, now we're watching it every night. To, you know how you watch something to the point you see it, and you know what they're going to say before they say it? 
Hey, remember that? Mary, Mary's like, he's fixing to do this. Well, they got the old man in there who reminds me in many ways of, of people that I know and you probably have known. And, and, but, and Raymond's a lot like me in that he, he, he loves golf and, and sometimes he struggles with understanding how you're supposed to love your wife. And uh, so anyway, we're watching. It's kind of cathartic to watch it and realize you've got to clean up here. You've got you to gotta get this right. So we're watching it. And they've got two episodes that I wish, and, and I need to do this, I guess, just I don't want to take up a Sunday morning time, but it would be great for us to come in here on a Sunday night or sometime and watch these two episodes together. One of them is where Raymond decides to go to church. If you've not seen that episode, you need to find it and watch it. They're, they're Roman Catholic, and the rest of the family goes every Sunday. His, his wife, they have three kids, their parents and brother live across the street. You've probably seen the show. and So they go to Mass every Sunday. Raymond never goes, and his excuse is, I'm a sports writer. I've got to work. You know, he's sitting there in a robe eating, eating Captain Crunch out of a box, and and they come in to go to church. His kids are going to church, and his whole family's going to church. And so, he, so he's sitting there one afternoon. His daughter, who's eight or nine years old, is drawing a picture. And it's a man that's in flames. And it, so he sits down by his wife. He says, he says Allie, what is that? She goes, that's you, Dad. Uh, Grandpa said, you're going to hell, so I'm just drawing a picture. So, of course, they, that's just his father. Now, he's, he's going, and he goes, why'd you tell Allie I'm going to hell? He goes, because you don't go to church. Now, if you watch the show, the hypocrisy of his father is an absolute jerk. There's no Jesus coming out in him in any way whatsoever. But because he shows up at church and he's an usher. Now, what's funny about it, and you, and you just see the mindset of people, church people, religion, so Ray's guilted into he's going to start going to church because he thinks, you know, I need to go to church. I don't think my, my kids think I'm going to hell. I got to go to church so I can go to heaven, see the, pic, the see what's going on, the works mentality. So he so, shows up at church, and his father and his brother are, are, his father is an usher, and all his buddies are ushers. You know, they're all like in their 60s, 70s. They're, they're ushers. And his brother is an usher in training. Well, Raymond said, and so they don't ever go into the service. They don't ever go into the mass. They come around and they pass the pot, and then they stand out in the lobby and they talk about the people and how much they gave and, and different things. That, and then they're talking about the Knicks. They live in New York, and they're talking about the Knicks. And they're, they're just hanging out in the lobby like ushers tend to do sometimes. So Raymond says, okay, I want to be an usher. Well, all the old men start laughing, and, and it's like, you want to, it's your first time here. Man, it took me 20 years to work up the usher. So we don't have to go in there and listen to the voodoo. We get to hang out out here. See the mentality? And so this week, we're watching it again, and here's the, the other episode I want you to hang with me in this illustration for a moment. So his little daughter now, 9, 10 years old, she, she wants to know, she says, she have a, the really important question I want to ask you. Well, they think she wants to have the sex talk. So Deborah, the wife, says, there's no way I'm letting Ray do this. Got, so she's got a book pointer. She says, he says, I want to do this. I'm her father. I want to do this. And so we do it together. So she has this book for him to read on how to do it. He goes, there's homework. So anyway, he starts reading the book, and he thinks he's got it all down. And he goes up to her room to talk to her about it. And that's not what she wants to talk about. She wants to talk about why did God put us here? If we're going to go to, all going to go to heaven when we die, why did God put us here in the first place? And he says, oh, let me go get your mom. <laughs> he has no, you know what he says? Because this is the great question of life. What is the meaning of life? What am I doing here? Where, where did I come from? And where am I going? So his whole family gets together. Now, these are all adults. They all get together and decide, what are we going to, he runs downstairs, and they're all trying to decide, what are we going to tell Allie? Now, before he runs downstairs, here's what he tells Allie. He said, why did God put us here first? 
and then let, you know, go to heaven when we die, what's the meaning of life? You know what he's told her? Heaven was congested. And so God put us down here for a while to help with the heavenly congestion. And then when it's our time, we get to go home or get to go there. That was his answer. So they go downstairs and they start talking about it. If you haven't seen this episode, again, you, you need to see it. Robert, who's his older brother, is like six foot eight. He's a, he's a New York City cop, huge man, got his deep voice, like James Earl Jones. And, and they're talking about who's God. And, and Raymond's saying, you know, God is, and he says, that's, he said, that's your God. Your God should sound like this. And he says, you know, always, I've been thinking, he says, I stay awake. This is, again, grown man. I stay awake at night thinking about these things like, what's out there? What's faith? What's at the end? Is there, is there an end? What's out there? Where, what's going to happen? I don't know what the answers are. And then the old man, the Korean War veteran, the guy who nobody likes, he's so, such a jerk. He said, I'll tell you the meaning of life. You're born, you live, you work, you die, let's eat. Ever know anybody like that? That's his answer. So the mom, the grandmom says, no, no, the answer's in the Bible somewhere. He said, so she goes over to the, to, the, to the bookcase. She pulls out a Bible, and she opens it to Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created, yeah, yeah, and, 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 and then she reads something out of, like, Ecclesiastes or Psalms. There's nothing, absolutely nothing to do with what they're talking about. And she goes, there it is, like the oxen pulls the cart, something like out of Proverbs. And they're all like, what? And then Deborah said the thing that really got my attention they're, now, they're trying to sincerely find an answer. What are we going to tell Allie about the meaning of life? And Deborah, the wife, the one who control, keeps the family together, the one that's, only, get, the only one that's, that's n- normal in the family. You know what she says to her mother-in-law, who's got the Bible, open it and flip it through, trying to find answers? She says, Marie, do you really expect to just open the Bible and find the answers to life? And I said, man... A lot of people need to hear that question because the answer to that is yes. Yes. That I can find the answer to where'd I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? They're called the omni attributes of God. He knew about me when? Before he ever created the universe, he knew about Randy. And he knew about you. He had a plan for Randy. And he had a plan for you before he ever created the universe. He had a plan to save me, to use me, to draw people to himself. And then when it came my time to go home to help with the heavenly congestion. So what I want to do, and I intentionally took that long intro so we could think about, look at the top of your handout again. God, our God, is all. He's not just all present, all powerful, all knowing. He is those things. And those are the attributes we're going to look at in Psalm 139. But he's also, and this is the focus over the next couple of weeks, he's all I need to enjoy life. He's all I need to understand how special it is to be in relationships with people. Mary and I have known each other 50 years, been married 47. And in the last two weeks, with her being as sick as she is, we've grown closer in ways I didn't think was possible after knowing each other so well for so long. And it just reminds you of how special our daddy is who he is and without without him what would we do where would we turn there's so many things I can't fix Connor and I were just talking this morning we love our wives but I can't fix this it's going to have to be fixed on the Lord's timing and then however he works it out I just can't fix this it's hard But God says, 
I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. There is a reason. There's a meaning. The great questions of life. Who am I? Am I important? Have you ever felt like you weren't important? I know a lot of people do. I know if you have a 12 or a 13-year-old girl, or you, you have a young adolescent, maybe even younger now, what's well, a tough time as they hit those years and begin to think, I'm not important. And yet you know how special they are. And you know how important they are, not just to you, but to God. I think about being a grandfather. I got to see two of my grandkids this week that I hadn't seen in a while, and, and they're... Uh, 15 and one of the, 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 my 15 year old grandson they live in Nashville now and he just got his permit and he's getting ready to get him a truck you know that, what a cool time in a boy's life we just got you know we just sitting around talking about his truck and what he's going to do and and his sister who's uh, 13 she's been she's learned to play the violin and we were talking about you know I got to see her recital sent it to me and just watching her play the violin and know that she's not into sports at all she's just like her mama we were talking about they, they were she was at PE this week and they she just does not want to do sports period and they're playing volleyball and everybody else is in the ball was she just standing there and look at it like her mother like my daughter did and Martha and we, I was joking with Callie I said ask your mom about the time we went to Waldoxy and, and daddy Grandy made her play second base and we were playing softball and she refused to try to catch the ball that was her statement and it's just so special to watch them grow up and realize God has a plan for that little girl, for that young man. I'm talking with Ella this week, and Ella's 16, driving now and, and going to Bartlett High School. First day at school, she drive, drives her own car to school at Bartlett, and they park across the street at the Methodist Church. So I went by there, just, I knew she was in the building, so I went by there and put notes on her car. I didn't hurt the car. I just put some notes on it. Like, is this how you park? Like, she's going to be in trouble. And she... So as soon as she gets out of school, what does she do? He calls me. He says, Grandy, I know you're the one that did that. <laughs> but you know what thrilled me? Because the day she got her driver's license, you know the first thing she did? She drove to my house to show me that she could drive now. Ooh, that made my day. Just go out in the driveway and watch her back out. You think, well, this old coot, he's crazy. No, you become a grandfather. You're going to see. You're going to see. It's so special because you know your time is, is dwindling. And their time, so much ahead of them. If Jesus doesn't come back, so much is ahead, so special. And back to what's important, that God has a plan for each one of them as an individual. I think about Emerson. IQ off the charts, 145. And I, I don't know what she's going to do with her life, but it's sure going to be special because she's smart. It's a whip. And I get to watch my grandkids grow up. I get to have friends. I get to pour myself into them. Why is it important? Because our God is everything. So you get to Psalm 139. What you're looking at in Psalm 139 is this incredible panoramic view that David has of his God, that God knows everything about us. And by the way, why this is so important beyond understanding it and knowing it is to comfort you that the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present God of the universe is looking out for you. He's your daddy. The whole genesis of this series, who's your daddy? Our God loves us. Before there was ever anything, he loved us. And so Psalm 139 is a meditation on that. Our unique relationship we as Christians have to the God of the universe. He gives us a purpose for living. We have answers to the great questions of life. It's a very personal psalm. That God knows you, he pursues you, he made you, and he's got plans for you. Let's look at verse 1. Psalm 139, number 1 on your handout. 
I want us to look at the omniscient attribute of God. He knows all. Now, the focus in Psalm 139, God knows everything. What does everything mean? I hate to do this. Mary's going to kill me when I get home. Everything means what? Everything. He knows everything. There's nothing scientifically that's ever happened that he didn't know about it prior and gave us the capacity to come up with it. The Bible tells us that. The intellect that we have as human beings to be able to create an emote and do all the things that we do is a gift of God because we're different. We're created in his image. We're not like the rest of the animal kingdom or the universe. We're unique as human beings. And then as believers, we're even, it's even a greater thing because we are his children. So number one, verses one through six, he knows us. Now, Psalm 139 is not about so much God's great knowledge of everything. It's his knowledge of you specifically. In verses 1 through 6, he used the, there are eight different Hebrew words that are used to describe the intimate knowledge of God that he has of me as an individual. And each Hebrew word is an added layer on top of the one before. In other words, he's emphasizing and David is meditating on and so excited about how much God knows about him, knows him, and it's like layer upon layer upon layer, like you're building this beautiful cake. And then you step back and look at this beautiful thing that God has made, this cake that's me. And he's very, he's intimately aware of every aspect of that cake because he made it. He's got something special he's going to do with that cake. That's the picture in Hebrew. Building layer upon layer upon layer, and David is like, wow, why does God love me that much? He knows me specifically. So number one, verse one, first thing he knows about you, he knows your thoughts. We need to stop at this one and go, oh, that could be a problem. He knows your thoughts. Verse one, oh, Lord, you searched me and known me. The word searched in Hebrew, again, layer upon layer, this first layer, it means he has dug down deep, Hebrew, searching for, it was literally used to describe digging for precious metals, like mining for gold or silver, that's the word, that he has searched down deep. Here's the picture. As a result of that search, look at verse 1 again, you have searched and you have known me. Known means as a result of that search, here's what you've learned. That nothing that I even think catches God off guard. I can hide what I think from you. I used to think I could hide it from my wife, but I don't think I can anymore. You can hide what you're thinking from other people. You cannot hide it from God, yet we try all the time, don't we? In Psalm 17, the Bible says this. You've tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my will not transgress. The picture is God examines me deep within my very thought life. And the result is I want him to find a thought life that pleases him. If you, if, you, if you can't take anything else away from what we're talking about today specifically, please get this principle. It is so important. I heard it from Chuck Swindoll back in the late 70s, and I was a young Christian man, and I'll never forget it. Chuck Swindoll is a great man of God. I saw him just so long ago, it was at the Mid-South Coliseum. That's where it was. I heard him teaching and I listened to him for years, a number of his books, great guy, tremendous teacher of the word. And here's what he said, and he's not the only one to have said it, but he's the one that I heard it from. He said, it's important, the most important thing for me to understand as a Christian, and I'll never forget it. He said, your integrity has to be paramount in your life, and here's what that means. If there's nobody in the room but me and God, it's important to me to be pure. My thought life. And if nobody sees me, 
that still I want to be pure before God. That's what's going on here. God, I want God to search me, dig down deep, know me, and I want him to be pleased with what he sees. Now, pause for a moment. Do you think God is pleased with what he sees in me all the time? Let me answer that for you. No, especially in the area of my thought life. I might think I don't like you. And if I don't say that to you, you you may not ever know it, right? But who does know it? God does. And so what he's saying, this first thing about he knows my thoughts. I want him to test me. I want him to search me. The picture is I want to respond in my thought life in a way that honors him. Because if I'm responding in my thought life in a way that honors him, how am I going to respond in the way I act? The Bible says everything you do starts where? In the heart. You think and then you act. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, we've mentioned this several times, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went out of his way to say to those self-righteous religious Pharisees, he went out of his way to say to them, You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you think about it, you're guilty. Why did he do that? Because he knew what? Every single one of them had thought about it. He wanted them to understand. Just because you haven't done it, you still are guilty of sin. He said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not steal. But I say to you, if you think about taking another's possessions, you're guilty. You're stealing their character if you hate them. Jesus wanted them to understand it's a higher spiritual plane that I'm talking. I'm not talking about you acting and living out a religious set of rules and regulations in front of people. I'm saying you've got to be changed from within and the very way you think has to change if you want to follow me. That's what a Christian is. Secondly, verse 2. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Second thing is he knows my life. God sees me every day. He watches me. He knows what I'm doing. And he knows what I'm going to do before I do it. Just like my wife does. He knows my life. The Hebrew word here means, remember, layer upon layer. Started out with he knows your thoughts. You're not hiding anything from God. But secondly, he knows your actions. That's what the Hebrew word is here. Both your active actions and your passive ones, what you're doing and what you're not doing. You could be an active rebellion against God or you can be a passive rebellion against God, just not doing good. Just doing what, only what matters to you. Not, be, not being interested in other people, not caring, not, not loving, not, not, not being concerned, not trying to help others. Just totally self-absorbed. He knows, <clears throat> pardon me, verse 2, he knows your actions, but he also knows your thoughts that lead to those actions. Why I do what I do. By the way, he knows that. He knows your motives behind your actions. He knows your life. So here's the picture in Hebrew being built. God is fully, totally acquainted with every emotion, every feeling, Every idea, doubt, concept, anxiety that I have, even before I have them, he knows them and understands them. My circumstances, my plans, my whole life, everything about it, every detail, as small as it might be, he knows about it in advance, he understands it, he's concerned about it, and he wants to work in and through it to glorify himself. That's why it begins with my thought life. Because my thought life leads to my action life. Or my passive act, what I'm not doing, what I am doing. That's why the Bible talks about, and it's so important that we understand this and do it. That we need to meditate on God's word. Doesn't mean you've got to sit around saying, all right, I'm memorizing 35 scripture verses this week. You know why? You're not going to do it. How many of you have ever done this? And I want, I want a show of hands. Uh-oh. I knew I should have stayed home today. 
How many of you ever have said, all right, this year I'm reading the whole Bible through and you started out on January 1st and you didn't finish? I have. Man, when I was in high school and uh, particularly after I got saved, I'd start, and by, you know, when I, about the time I hit Leviticus, that was it, I was, I was, I was done. And besides, and then, you know, we've talked about this before, Let, let's say you're reading, you're going to read, you've got to read so many chapters a day, and then you miss a day. What are you going to do the next day? If you're like me, ain't only, what are you going to do the next day? I got to read, I got to read uh, yesterday, and I got to read today, and I got to read extra to make sure I catch up. I might, and I might do it for a while. What am I really learning? Probably nothing. But I can say to you, hey, Mark, I read the whole Bible this year. And he can say, what'd you learn? I said, I don't know, but I read it. You think God's interested in that? Nothing wrong with reading the Bible. Don't go home and say, Randy said, you don't have to read the Bible. Of course you want to read the Bible. But more than that, you want to what? You want to learn it. You want to internalize it. You want to let the living word of God shape, mold, and change you. So let's say you read one verse this year, like Philippians 121, my favorite verse in the Bible. It's on my walls everywhere I go, I got it. For me to live is Christ, and to die is. If you get the message of that verse, and that's all you get, and you begin to live your life based on that one verse, and that's all you learn in a year. You know what? It's been a good year. I'm not saying that should be your goal, but I'm saying that's what God's interested in. In the middle of a year when politics is just right in our face and it's just nasty and ugly, I got an answer to all political races and cultures and societies. Just throw everything out, start all over, and everything's going to be done based on one sentence. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How about we treat each other like we'd like to be treated? Where'd that come from? The lips of Jesus Christ? Does it change you? It should. So here's what God says. I know your life. I know your thoughts that lead to your life. Now give them to me. Center them on me. If I'm meditating on the word of God and I'm learning it and I'm internalizing it, will that change the way I act? Of course it will. Sure it will. Because if I'm doing it just to do it so I can say I did it, that's not going to change me. But if I'm getting the word of God into me so that the word changes me, that's what God's interested in. That's called growth. Sanctification process. Not perfect in process. Next one, verse 3. You comprehend my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Remember, layer upon layer upon layer. This magnificent treatise David's laying out. So David <clears throat> in the psalm. Think about his life. Number 3, verse 3. He knows my habits. That's taking the principle laid out in verse 2, that he knows my actions, and expanding them. To, talking, to think about every moment of every day. My habits. I love to think about habits and how you change them. And it's part of a course that I used to teach. And it takes like six. If you do something for six weeks, every day for six weeks, it'll probably become a habit in your life. And we all have habits in our life. Like I was thinking about this morning when I shave, I always start in the same place. And I always finish in the same place. And I always cut myself where? Same place. You think I'd be smart enough, at, you know, 66-year-old man, you think sooner or later you're going to get this down, Randy. But then they start, they put you on this butt thinner medicine, and all you got to do is just slightly nick your face. And it's like someone shot you. There's like blood everywhere. I was in here a couple of weeks ago. I had just nicked myself right here on my, what we used to call the goozle. This Adam's apple thing. And, you know, it bleeds pretty severely if you sit there with, with a straight razor, which I did. Well, the only way I could stop it is I had to have Mary put like four Band-Aids over it. And I came in here, it looked like I'd given myself a tracheotomy on the way to church. <laughs> and the nick, when it all dried, it wasn't the size of your fingernail on your pinky. But man, 
When I looked up in that mirror, you couldn't see my neck for all the blood. And what God is saying is, I want you to develop these habits. I know your habits. And you got some that are bad. By the way, you let the Holy Spirit handle this. It's not my job to go to everybody and tell them their habits are wrong and to change it. It's my job to love people and let the Holy Spirit change their life. Teach the Word of God, live the Word of God, and let the Holy Spirit change those habits. Let let God work. That's what David is reveling in. Now notice verse 3 again. He says, you comprehend. See verse 3? You comprehend my path. Path means the journey that you're on. It's a word everybody likes to use now. A lot of churches, that they want to use that, and that's fine. The journey, church, that's what the word means. The journey you're on, the direction you're headed, that God knows that path. Well, it says he comprehends it. You know what that the word, com- I love this. The word comprehend means he sees the path that you're on, and he is scrutinizing where you're going. He's sifting it, is the word in Hebrew. He's sifting everything as you go down this path. Is that the path you need to be on? Is that where you need to be going? Are you honoring God as you're going down this path? Notice also verse 3. Let's talk about habits. It's my lying down. I mean, that's literally talking about your time of resting, your time of leisure. God knows and watches you during that time. Are you thinking about him? Are you meditating on him? Uh, Are you seeking his face, his will? He knows your path, and he's sifting it. He knows when you lie down, when you're resting. You know what the point of this is? If he builds the layers, it, here's the point. It says, you know all my ways. Here's what he wants you to make sure you understand. Whether you're lying in your bed, or you're driving in your car, or you're at work, God is where? He's with you. We'll get to that attribute. Right now, we're talking about his omniscience. He knows you. He's also with you. He's omnipresent. I don't know where I'm going Tuesday or tomorrow. I know where I have plans, but those can change. I didn't expect to end up in the emergency room at at Baptist Hospital a couple weeks ago, but I did. But God knew what? That's where you're going to end up today. Before I knew it. And he was already there waiting on me when I got there. I wish he'd have handled a little better me getting Mary in the building, but he was there to reminding me how you're supposed to act. How are you supposed to handle this? Because I didn't handle it real well at first, not being able to go in with my wife. How should you handle this? God constantly sifting. He knows whether I'm every moment he's right there. There's so many examples I could give you in my life and graphically how God has taught me this principle over the years. One was when I had my open heart surgery 20 years ago and, and uh, lying in ICU and just miserable, wanting to die. I had that tennis shoe in my throat and I'm claustrophobic, didn't know it. I found out I was. And all I wanted to do was... Make, and I've told you this before, and I have a little plaque in my office. The verse that God just kept pounding in my brain, and I'm laying there, was what? Be still. Be still and know what? I am God. Not you, Randy. I'd never been sick. I'd never, you know, other than ankle, uh, breaking ankles and, and stuff like that, I'd never, never been to the doctor. When they they cut your chest open and you wake up in ICU, you know you've been to the doctor. And they tell you to cough? What's the last thing you want to do when when your chest has been split open? What's the last thing you want to do? Cough? They said, but if you don't cough, you're going to get pneumonia. Okay, I'll cough. Be still. Know that I'm God. Now, would I have ever asked God to let me have open heart surgery so he could teach me some things? I'm here to tell you no. But man, he has taught me so much in that 20 years. How to relate to people who maybe are going through open heart surgery or something else. And how to realize that you can't control everything. You can't. 
fix everything. You're not the man you think you are. You need to trust me, God says. Just be still. Know that I'm God and I've got it. Trust me and I do what I tell you. You're never going to be alone. I'm always going to be with you. So many ways God teaches us. Next one, verse 4. Uh-oh. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. The Hebrew here means, remember, building. The Hebrew word here means, before I say what I'm going to say, God knows what? What I'm about to say. Sometimes he's like, don't say that. Don't say that. That's why he started out with get your thoughts in line. I know you, I know you, I know you, and I get your thoughts in line because if my thoughts are in line, I might not say that stupid thing I was about to say, right? And for somebody who talks for a living and and talks too much at times, based on what others tell me, I I need to learn this principle. What we all do as, as human beings, particularly as God's children. Am I about to say something that would embarrass my father? I don't want to do that. I want my daddy to be proud of me, pleased with me. I don't want to say something that embarrasses him. He knows my words, and he knows what they mean. One of the things that drives me crazy is people will say, particularly now in our, our culture of being politically correct and everything, and that, that people will just say something, and you know what I'll say? And they'll say, like, you're a, an elitist. You know what I will ask them? What does that mean? I want to know what you think it means before I answer you. Because what you think it means may not be what I think it means. Words have meaning. And I need to know the context in which you're using that word. What do you mean by that? What are you alluding to? What are you trying to say as opposed to what I might think you're saying? I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm a progressive. I'm a this. I'm a that. What do you really mean by that? What do you believe? Not, not forget labels. You really want to get to see this. You get a group of preachers in a room and start talking about Calvinism and Armenianism and, and predestination and election and salvation. What do you really mean by when you throw those words out? What do you mean by free will? What do you mean by that? And half the time they don't know. They just like to throw them out there because it makes them look smart. What do you mean? God knows your words before you ever utter them. David wrote in Psalm 19 these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know what the Apostle James wrote about the tongue in his epistle? There's so many ways we can hurt each other. You know, he got a whole section in his epistle about the tongue. You know how he described it? It's set on fire by hell is how he put it. We can tear each other down in a second by what we say or tweet or post or send. We need to think before we do that. Someone has said, rightfully so, you better think before you hit send. Because once you send it, where is it? You ain't getting it back. You ever said anything? Especially when you've been married for a while, sometimes you'll say something and your wife will turn and say, what did you say? And I'll say, I have no idea. It's been three seconds, Mary, I forgot. I don't even remember what I said. Never mind, I'm just an idiot. Watch everybody runs Raymond, you'll see it every episode. I told Mary they need to change the name of that show to I'm Sorry. But we could tear each other down. You know why we do it? Because it, I want to build myself up by tearing you down. God, you know what a Christian is? It's the exact opposite. I want to build you up so that I can. John the Baptist put it this way. Jesus must increase and I decrease. I want people to see Jesus in me all the time. 
One last, and then we're done for today. Verse 5. You've hedged me behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. I love this. He knows my past, my present, and my what? I love that. He knows my past, and he's still putting up with me. He loves my present, and he still puts up with me. And he knows my future because he's got it in his hand. And he said to me, I'm yours. You're mine. I'm going to read you this quote from Jesus, and then we're done. Please listen closely. This is your Savior speaking. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, future. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. That's your daddy. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Look at verse 5, and then we're done. It says, you've hedged me behind and before. The word hedged here means you built a rock wall of protection from the wind in all directions, past, present, future. Here's the picture as we get ready to pray. In the past, God saved me. My sins are forgiven. Christ paid for them the cross. I'm born again. Future, I get to go home. I spend eternity in paradise with him. Present, he's working on me to be more like Christ. I want people to know my daddy. Would you bow your heads, please? Just bow your heads. Let's just meditate together for a moment. Lord, we thank you. We're humbled that you, the great creator of the universe, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of all is our Father in Christ. Lord, I pray for us as believers, those of us who are born again and we're Christians and know Jesus, that we would read Psalm 139 with that mindset that David had, that just in awe of who my dad is, who my God is, and then live a life that honors you. Not perfect, not one of us is perfect, but you are. And you have a perfect plan for us. We want to get in on it, each of us. Not everybody's, your plan for each of us is not the same. We have different talents and gifts you want to use in different ways. We need to be excited about that. We're going to talk about that next week, that as individuals, I don't want to be somebody else. I want to be what you want me to be. Thank you, Father. Pray you bless our time. And this week, we would honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in the building, please stand as we close out our time together.